Good evening. Hasn't our time of singing worship just been rich lately? Hasn't it been just powerful? Great job. Good job. It's been neat to see that. I'm a little bit, I don't know, undone right now. Just as we were worshiping and singing, uh, again, touched by the Lord, I, I got a phone call right before we started from my son in Texas. And he called to tell me that he just got out of church and he said, I sang for the first time and I don't know how long. And he said, I was really overwhelmed. Um, they were singing that song. Um, oh gosh, blanking out. Um, it's one of the Jesus culture songs. Your love never fails and never get, go, lets go. It never gives up on me. And he was really moved by that. And it's funny because throughout the time we've been singing that song, he's come to my mind in that song so many times. And I've been moved just thinking, God, you, you don't give up on us. You, your love doesn't fail. And to hear him say that that touched his heart tonight, it was really special and really rich. Um, so we'll see if I'm a blubbering fool by the end of tonight and we'll see what's going on. Uh, good to be back a couple of weeks since I was here. Um, I know Alex did an amazing job. I'm getting that shirt for you. Priorities, God, family, the Dodgers, uh, and Nathan did a great job. And so just really thankful for the guys to cover, uh, those things uh, while I was here and just talking about worship and uh, good to be back. We're continuing in John and we're in John chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, you can. Are you guys okay with the light? Do you need more light? Speak up if you do. Someone like more? Joe, want to hit the lights? I like the mood like this. We can turn them up and then, you know, have them down. There you go. Both of them. There's this one too. There it is. All right. let's pray as we move forward god you are speaking may our ears hear you are working and may our lives be in line with your work we are setting aside this time we are giving you our attention and we are praying even as alex prayed lord that you would work in our lives and so this time is yours Do with us what is necessary and what will be beneficial for the greater good for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming to the place where Jesus has been talking about his crucifixion. He is, through this time, telling his disciples as well as those around him, You're not always going to have me with you. The light's here for a little while, and then it's going to be gone. And you need to walk while it is daylight. And in chapter 13, we come to the Last Supper, as it's called, and look at some things that I think are, are poignant. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well. So let's read the chapter. It's not very long. Um... And then we'll go back and talk about it. We might not read the whole thing. We'll see how we cover it. Verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So let's stop there and talk about this. There are a couple of things that stood out to me as I was reading this. And one of them is that as Jesus loves his own and he loves them to the end, it's amazing to me that God is holy and that there is no one who is able to get closer to a person or a man except for a man who is close to God. In other words, the one who is able to truly get close to us is also the one who is close to God, which is Jesus. And I think that's important to understand because there are times where we think or maybe we've heard that, well, God is holy and so we are distant from him because of our sin. And yet here is Jesus, God in human flesh. And it's amazing to think that instead of his holiness making him distant from men, he is actually very, very close to them. And so much so, and so amazing is God's ability that even though he is holy and magnificent, yet he is here to serve us. And it's difficult to understand because a person who would serve us, we would think is lower than us. And yet we see how God is actually all about us. He is encompassing us completely and far from him being distant and looking and saying, well, you know, I would be close to you if you get rid of this and deal with that. He is actually there washing and cleansing us and is actually very, very near. And so this is very telling the role that Jesus is taking being who he is. And as the the meal is in progress, it says that the devil had prompted Judas to betray him, prompted us, give him, hey, you should do this. We've talked about this for a few times. We don't know all the reasons going on in, in Judas's head, but there's this continued prompting now. And then Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. This is something that Jesus said later after his resurrection. All power and authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And so he now is aware that he has all this authority. And what does he do with the recognition of authority and that he's come from God, this is going to God. And verse four, it says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he was wrapped around in. Now, a disciple was supposed to take care of their master. In other words, they were to carry the scrolls, they were to tend for his needs, but this job was even below that of a disciple. A disciple wouldn't do this job. This was a job of a slave. 
And so Jesus, knowing he has all power, he's going back to God. He's come from God, recognizing his position, his authority, takes water, a towel, and the form of a slave. The person who has all power serves. People say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But really what absolute power does is reveal absolutely. And what we're seeing here in this revelation is that the one who has all power uses it to benefit others. And it makes me think of all the times I've had authority in my life and my positions as managers over different places, as, you know, salesperson and having control over other people who are under me, even as a father and having authority over my kids. And I think of this example, and it actually makes me feel kind of bad. You know, it's like, oh man, I, I really don't think I lived up to this standard. I don't think I really understood that what power is there for is to lift up and to help others. That is the purpose. If you have a position of authority or power, it is there so that you can help others. And Jesus is giving us this example. He is helping us to see that what people think, oh, I could never do that. And especially at this time, washing a person's feet. I mean, we think, I don't want to wash anybody's feet. That's not, you know, I don't want to wash your feet. But imagine at that time just wearing sandals and dirt roads and walking for miles and mud and all the stuff. It was a big task. And they didn't probably cut their toenails. And, you know, I mean, you could have, yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's good. It's just, it was a very low task. And Jesus takes it. But he takes it after he's aware that he has all power and authority. And I think that is telling for us and what we are supposed to do. When you have authority, what do you do with it? How do you utilize it? How do you wield it with others? Do you place yourself in a position that's elevated or do you elevate other people? Do you get the best parking spot because you've got the high sales in that time? Or or do you recognize that, you know what? I have this position, I need to help someone else get better. And we live in a culture that is very much competitive, wanting to get to the top. We live at a time where recognition and establishing a name for yourself is important to so many people. Uh, having a position of authority so that you can tell people what to do is important for many people. And here Jesus is just blowing the lids off of that. And I think again about our positions even as followers of Christ and and in the church itself. I, I was having a conversation with someone today. We went out and had coffee and we were talking another pastor and we were talking about just the titles, pastor. You know, we were talking about the mentality and, and what that does when people say, oh, hi, pastor so-and-so. Someone send or it was, I don't remember when it was, but it was sometime. Someone came up to me, oh, hi, pastor Sam. It was, I think, on a, anyway, I don't remember when it was, but I'm trying to. Um I don't know if it was a grassroots, I think it was grassroots a while back. They go, oh, hi, Pastor Sam. And I said, oh, you can just call me Sam. And they said, oh, that's right, we're casual here. And I said, no, we're scriptural. And I said, you don't see Peter being called Pastor Peter or Paul, Pastor Paul. Okay, we don't need that recognition. And the more people start going, oh, Pastor so-and-so, what it really does is elevates the person. And more than elevating a person, it's lowering themselves. 
because, oh, you're, you're the pastor. I recognize, you know, this authority and I recognize a position and I respect the position and the responsibility, but no better. In fact, if I'm like Jesus, I am supposed to wash your feet and help you to do better. And so those kinds of titles, what do they do? You know, when we have these people who we see as more important, well, it takes away our responsibility. It takes away our the recognition, I guess, of our position and places people in kind of a higher order. And that's just not the case. If Jesus, our teacher and our Lord, washed their feet, he says, if I do this, then what should you do? And that's pretty telling. Any questions in this? I've got a couple more points, but I thought I'd ask some questions first before I go on. Any thoughts, questions on this? What about where Jesus says, you know, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet? Wonder about that? No? Uh, (laughs) Washing a person's feet was something you would do for entry into a home. In other words, if a person was going to come into the home, that's what you would want to do so that they don't bring all the crud into the house. But if you wash the feet, that's all that's necessary to get into the home. And so Jesus is basically implying to Peter that he's washed his, he's already clean because of who he's with, but all he needs to do is clean his feet so that he has the ability to enter into the house or the presence of God, you might say. Okay, so if I wash your feet, that's enough. You can come on in because you're already clean. You've already had a bath. You just need your feet washed. You've been with me. You understand who I am. You just need to get your feet clean so that you can be a part of the things that I'm doing. It has to to do with service. You wash your feet, you're clean now, you can be useful, you can kind of enter in into that work that they're doing. And so that's really what he's talking about as far as that goes concerned. And again, we see Peter's zeal. I love Peter saying, no, Lord, you will not wash my feet. You know, it's like, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Is it warm in here? Are you guys warm? Gil, can we turn on the air, please? I just... Thought, well, I could stay here and keep sweating, or we can turn the air. And so, what an amazing picture from the Lord of glory taking on the form of a servant and teaching us that this is what it's like to have authority. It's there for others and not for yourself. And so, we need to be mindful. Thank you, man mindful of those things so that we don't think that people are here for us, that we always think of others as more important than ourselves, Paul would say. And this is the example that we have in Jesus. I'm going to wash your feet. It doesn't mean that he would do everything they told him to do. He is still Lord and still going to do these things, but his attitude is one of a servant to lift people up and to raise them up. And so as we move into the last days of Jesus' life on earth and him being aware of this, again, we can't take away the emotion that he is feeling knowing that someone is going to betray him, even as he said, you know, not every one of you is clean, as he spoke about Judas, because he knew something was already going on. He is aware of these things, but he still washes his feet. Someone is going to betray you, and you still serve them. That's tough. And not only is he serving him, he is extending mercy 
towards him still. How many of you were at the community groups? You guys, any of you? What did you think of the video luggage? Powerful, right? Talking about forgiveness. And I love at the end, he says, may you, what does he say? May you set someone free and find out it was you. May you free that person and may you find out that really you're the one being set free. And and the same thing is happening when, when Jesus knows someone's going to betray him but still extends this kind of servitude towards them. What's happening is Jesus is really demonstrating the heart of God even to those who are in rebellion to God. He still cares. He's still there to serve. And again, the holy God is closer than you imagine. He is there serving you to try and cleanse your life to get to where you need to be. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's a very uh, powerful example that Jesus does this in spite of him knowing that Judas is in this place. And so in verse 18, we'll continue to go through this. He says, I am not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And so he he just finished going saying that, you know, this is going to be a sign. You'll be blessed if you are a servant. You'll be blessed if if you do these things. But not all of you are going to do that. Someone is going to betray me. There's one of you who is going to betray me, and he's going to bring that out even a little bit more later on. And he quotes Psalm 41, where he says that they will, where did it go? He says, he who shared my bread has turned against me. It's a quote from Psalm 41. And so he's identifying what's going to happen, and he's telling them before it happens so that they recognize who he is. And just as someone is going to betray him, he goes on that we can see both the disloyalty and the loyalty. So even though someone is going to betray me, I'm telling you, whoever accepts who I send accepts me. So this one is going to betray me, but whoever accepts you is also going to accept me. This betrayal and this loyalty are kind of working hand in hand. If you're betraying what God is doing, you're betraying the people who he is using, or if you accept the people he is using, you're accepting him. And again, he's identifying himself with the people so that... He's in connection with them. He is giving them basically his authority. Whoever accepts you is going to accept me. Verse 21, he says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. I don't know how we can adequately grasp the emotion of this. I don't know how we can understand what it is to to be in a place where you know what's going to happen, that you are going to die, and that you know that one of the people who is close to you is going to be responsible for that. And so Jesus, and we think, well, he's just foretold of all this is going to happen. He's just washed their feet, and we think, oh, man, he's got it together. He's just like this. But it says that he was troubled in spirit. Something happened within him, and he was troubled, and he just couldn't bear it anymore. And he says, someone is going to betray me. And I wonder if when he said this, if he didn't start weeping, I wonder if when he said this, that he didn't crack, if it didn't emotionally overwhelm him. Those times when you're you're sharing something, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the emotion of the situation, and you can no longer compose yourself. What does it mean he was troubled in spirit? What would it mean for you? How, how would you identify the idea of being troubled in spirit? It was something that would probably have a, a visual 
representation, you would see their troubled in spirit. Have you ever seen someone and you see their countenance fall? And it's like, what's wrong? Why? Because they're troubled in spirit. Something's bothering me. What was bothering him? That he was going to die? Be crucified? That'd be bothering. That'd bother me. Or that the one he was trying to clean and the one he was trying to help was actually going to be the one that hurt him the deepest. You see, for there to be betrayal, there first has to be love. There cannot be a betrayal unless there first is love. And the harshest betrayal comes from those who we love the most. They have the ability to cause the most hurt because we care. And so troubled in spirit is here's someone who I've poured my life into, who I've cared about, and this is going to happen. And he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And you can imagine the mood changing now. It's like, what? They're all sitting down. They're reclining, kind of laying down. They have kind of a a horseshoe-shaped table. Usually Jesus would be at the center kind of leaning in, usually kind of leaning on their left shoulder, and then the right hand they would dip the bread and the, you know, sauce and stuff that they did. I don't know what they had. But anyway, they would eat the hummus, yeah. And then around him, we know that uh, his right was John, his beloved, because he would be doing the same thing, and that's how his head could be on his bosom, as it's going to say, on his chest. And probably right there to his left was Judas. And the others are all around. And so as it plays out, his disciples, verse 22, stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Peter would. Find out who it is. And so you're close to him. Tell him. Ask him. And so leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it. In the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, it doesn't seem that everyone knew what was going on, but it seems like he let John know what was going on, but it probably didn't carry throughout the whole thing. And I think it's interesting that it was after Judas took the bread that this took place. This was a a sign of respect, dipping the bread and giving it to some. It was a sign of friendship. It was something you would do with someone who you were close to. Judas would know that. They all would know that. And so probably all of those who were watching saw Jesus dip the bread and give it to Judas and thought, oh, Jesus is, Judas is his friend because he's close to him. And when Judas took that, that's when Satan entered into him. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I was having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago. And we were, excuse me, um, chapter 6. We were talking about some spiritual oppression and things that were taking place and how in their life they were dealing with all these kind of just really uh, oppressive situations. And I I went to Ephesians chapter 6 and starting at verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. As Paul talks about the spiritual battle that's taking place, this Oppression, the devil's schemes, and you get this idea, okay, the devil's scheming, and, and there's this spiritual force that's going on. And even as we see Judas now, the, the devil enters him at this point. The armor of God, put on the full armor of God, and you think, okay, I need to put on the full armor of God, but what does that look like? What, how do you do that? And it's really... It's really important that we understand this because I think there's a lot of misconception about what this is. He tells them first that there's a stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You're to live a truthful life. Not dishonest, not deceptive. Part of the armor of God is being genuine. And you see, when Judas took the bread from a friend with the idea of betraying Jesus, he was being deceptive. And in that moment where I'm going to act like this, but really I have something else in mind, there was opportunity for the devil to come in. And we make opportunity for the devil when we don't live truthful lives. When we keep secrets that are going to, would hurt someone, or if they knew about this, it would be bad. And so I'll just hide it, or I'll pretend like I like them, but I'll talk bad about them. These kinds of things affect your spiritual life. This is not some ethereal thing. Oh, yeah, the belt of truth. Yes, I believe the truth. No, are you living a truthful life? Because if you're not living a truthful life, guess what? You're opening a door for deception. And then a breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Living right. Living the way you should. You see, if you are living truthful and you're doing the things that are right, then you are putting on armor because then when the spiritual attacks are there against you, you are living the way you should. And it combats that spiritual force. Again, it's not like, well, yes, I'm in Jesus, therefore I'm righteous in Jesus. Yeah, that's right, but are you living what's right? You see, all these things he's talking about are character traits. Truthfulness, righteousness, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Are you living a peaceful life? Or are you bitter and are you angry? And this person that I was talking to, I was telling them, you know, you are angry about a lot of things constantly. And they admitted it. I said, maybe in your anger, everything around you, you're making opportunity for this spiritual attack to come upon you because of how you are living, how you are thinking. 
Maybe if you would be truthful, live right, and try and be peaceful with the people around you, you would find that these attacks stop having the effect on you that they are. Maybe if Judas would have been truthful and said, you know what, I've been thinking this, I'm going to betray you, I just can't do this. Maybe that would have stopped it. And the devil would not have been able to enter. Maybe if he would have just done the right thing, at that point, it could have stopped that attack. Maybe if he would have lived the way he should have, it could have stopped his future from becoming what it did. And so how you live will have an effect on the spiritual attack in your life. Your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That is your trust in God and belief in God that he is with you. He is working for you, that you are going to depend on him with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation, that's the wholeness and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, we touched on this so many times. The word of God does not mean the Bible here because the Bible was not yet written. The word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus coming from God, dying for our sins, raising from the dead and returning to God. It is the promise of God through the person of Christ. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We have now an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has dealt with us. That is our sword. That is the truth. And when I was talking to this person, I was saying, you know, these incidents happen and you know they're spiritual. And what do you do? You get mad and you want to try and, ah, you know, I'm going to punch your way through it. How do you punch a spirit? You know, what, what are you going to do? You can't do that. You're, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And so there has to be an awareness of how you're living and your relationship with God should have an influence in your conduct and how you talk to people, how you live in your daily life. And we see as Judas is deceptive taking this bread, that is the opportunity. Don't be fooled. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. Don't be fooled and think that you can pretend and it not have spiritual influence on your life. Don't, don't be fooled and think, well, I'll act like a Christian, but really I'll have a lot of crud in my life and I'll just ignore it. I won't deal with it. I don't need God to deal with it because, you know, eh, who cares? No one will know. And think it won't have significant effect on your life. Don't think that it won't have a serious relationship to spiritual attack, to emotional difficulties, probably to physical difficulties. These things aren't separate. And we have to see them as being connected. And so as Judas does this, we see that he brings the opportunity for these things to take place. And as Satan enters into him, Jesus tells him, continuing verse 27, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor, which means that they probably gave to the poor on a regular basis. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. That's just kind of a very beautiful and dark passage. He went out, and it was night. There was a darkness that had just come upon not only Judas, but on the world. So... Any questions on that portion, those passages we read, just talking about the Last Supper, the denial, 
or the betrayal. Yeah, and it's important to recognize that Judas acted and then Satan entered. That it was because of what Judas did that allowed the opportunity for Satan to do. You know, and, and it's important to recognize that because what we yield ourselves to will determine what we and how we live. And Satan entered Judas because he was already in a place and opened himself up to those. He was living deceptive. We know he was stealing money already, right? We read that he was taking money. Okay, so he's already a thief. He's already living deceptive. All these things are coming to play in why this is taking place. And so as that takes place, there it is. Okay, verse 31. Let's see if we can finish through this chapter. When he was gone, Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I love Peter. I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. If you were in this situation, you know someone's about to go and betray you. Your your friend has just stabbed you in the back and is leaving and it's going to be devastating to you and to those people around you. And you've got this short time now with these few people, the closest people in your life, and you have just a few things to tell them with all this going down. What would be your thoughts? See, my thoughts would be like, you know, watch out for people, man. They're not always what they seem. Some people are just snakes, You know, they're going to, they look like they're good, but they'll stab you in the back. And, you know, that's where my mind goes. That's where my conversation would be. My conversation would be about that dirty guy who's going to do this rotten thing to me. Don't be like him. But instead, Jesus, he has this last opportunity. If I'm going to pour anything out into you, this is what I want you to know, that you are to love one another. And by this will everyone know that you belong to me because of how you love one another. This is my last, my final words to you. This is what is important. And he just pours these last words into him. I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you. You're not going to be able to follow me. And this is what I have to tell you. Love one another. Where are you going, Lord? That more important than anything is that you love each other, even as I loved you. Why can't we follow you? No, listen to me. What I'm telling you is that you need to love one another. Well, I'd die for you, Lord. God. Really? Will you die for me? Because I'm telling you before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. And you can see Peter's mind is over here and Jesus' heart is over here. And they're just not getting it. And he's trying to tell him. And now John is telling us, looking back, saying, oh, man, we were so off base. We didn't get it. Peter was asking the questions we all wanted to ask. But Jesus was trying to tell us what was really important, that by this, all men will know that you're my followers if you love one another. And it's interesting that he said, if you love one another, he didn't say, if you love God. He said, if you love one another. Because if we love one another, there is the implication that we love God because that's what God has been doing through Jesus is loving these other people. And so what an amazing 
dialogue that takes place. And more amazing to me is when it takes place. That this would be his words at this time when he's being betrayed. I'm being betrayed, but I want you to know something. You got to love one another. It's what's going to separate you from the rest of the world. I just got to let you know. And so as he tells them that, and then Peter again, I'll die for you, Lord. And he goes, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. And Jesus tells him these things, and he does it for a reason. He does it for Peter's sake. But it's revealing, because I've been in Peter's shoes. I'll never do that, Lord. I'll never do anything to hurt you. Man, I'm with you 100%. And then I do something that hurts him. I was like, oh. And I can hear Jesus, yeah. You know, when I say, Lord, I'll never do that, I can almost hear God saying, really? And I'm thankful that my relationship with God doesn't depend on my ability not to fail. Right? Anyone with me? Yay. (laughs) Yay. It, It depends on God and his ability to have enough grace, mercy, and love to cover my failings, which he has completely through Jesus. So, that's chapter 13. Any comments or thoughts on these last verses? I think both. I think he was talking about that he was going to die and he was going to be with the Father, and he can't do that right now. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. He was going to you know, be with him again at another time when he died. You know, I don't know if it, he was referring to his death as well. He may well have been. But he's definitely talking about, yeah, what's what happening right now, this is mine to bear. And you can't deal with this. Just like the, they said, Lord, have my son sit at your right hand and my left hand. Could they drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? Oh, yeah, we can. He goes, well, you will, but that's not up to me to give. You know, eventually you're going to have to deal with these things. And with that, it's definitely talking about the martyrdom uh, that was taking place. So very much could have been applying to that with Peter as well. Any other thoughts? Yes. Oh, they had the, the law of Moses and they had the Old Testament. But I don't think that's what he's referring to when he says the word of God. Throughout the New Testament, when we see the word of God, it's mostly referencing the gospel. There are a few times where it says all scripture is God-breathed, and we know that that scripture is the, the writings that they had. But when it talks about the word of God, most of the time it's referring to Jesus, the gospel, the gospel message. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Especially in that context, talking about peace and rest, it's referring to Jesus and what he's done. But our tradition has made every time we hear word of God mean Bible. And I think we've done a disservice to the Bible by interpreting that way. We we lose the power of what is being said. We're not taking away from the scripture. It's still infallible. It's still, you know, God breathed. But we're taking, we're diminishing the passage and what it's conveying when we just say, oh, it's the Bible. Um, because it's more than that that's taking place. Eileen? Yeah, apparently, because I don't think they would have let Judas leave if they knew he was going to betray him. Yeah, and then they thought he was going to go do something. And again, knowing how they reclined and sat, it would be, you know, John would be right here, but the next person might not be able to hear. And especially if Peter was down at the other end of the table, you know, trying to order, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's happening? What's happening? You guys ever see that episode of The Office where Dwight Schrute is on the other side of the Shogun or that Benny Hanna, and he can't hear the con- Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why my mind went there. But, you know, Peter probably had no idea what that conversation was. And so, yeah, he probably just told, it's the one who I dipped the bread, and then he gave it to Judas. Judas probably didn't even hear that because Jesus would have been facing Peter and Judas would have been behind him. And then you have the 12 guys and whoever else was in the room serving. It's probably pretty loud. And so it didn't happen. But any other thoughts on this passage? 
and the examples are so nice to see, you know, and we see in Jesus like, oh, like this. Oh, like that. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yes. Well, before the rooster, he, yeah, before the morning, the rooster will crow three times. Um, roosters crow all throughout. Well, they crow, my, the roosters I know crow all throughout the night. They, yeah. We used to have one in our neighborhood. I don't know why, but yeah, it'd be like three in the morning and he'd be crowing. It's like, you're confused, buddy. The sun ain't coming up for another five hours, you know, or four hours, but so. So, yeah, this is all taking place at night still. And so it's before the rooster crows, but the rooster going to be crowing throughout that night, and he hear it specifically. Anything else? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your example of love. We thank you for your example of leadership and what it is to be a person of authority and power and what humility really looks like. Lord, you have left us an example that we fight against many times, and yet we know that it is the right way to live. It is what we are to do. And so, Lord, may we continue to yield ourselves to you and to these things. And and may we recognize that as we yield our lives to either you or to ourselves, we are opening up our lives for either good or evil influence, that there is spiritual element to all this that is taking place that we can't ignore. And so may we recognize the importance of loving you, of loving others, of caring, of living a life that will be an example to the people around us, especially to those who we care and love. And Lord, I I thank you again for our opportunity here. I pray that our time here would work within us uh, thoughts and attitudes towards you that would help us to live better. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.